0: Welcome to the Army Talent Management Podcast, where we explore how the Army is optimizing its human capital management practices to develop a ready, professional, diverse, and integrated team of trusted professionals that are prepared to fight and win in a complex world. Talent wins, and winning matters.
1: Hi, I'm Major David Cicchetti. Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Army Talent Management Podcast, conducted by members of the Army's Talent Management Task Force. This podcast is the first in a series that will focus on the Command Assessment Program, or CAP. The Command Assessment Program debuted with the Battalion Commander Assessment Program, or BCAP, in 2020. Since then, the Army has implemented similar programs, including the Colonel's Command Assessment Program, or CCAP, and the Acquisition Leader Assessment Program, or ALAP. As of this recording, the Army has assessed over 1,800 officers through these programs and conducted a pilot with 23 recent graduates of the Sergeant's Major Academy. This program took the best ideas about leader selection from the military, industry, and academia and used them to design a comprehensive assessment program to select arguably the most consequential leaders in the Army. With me today to discuss all of this is Colonel Bob O'Brien, the Director of the Command Assessment Program. Colonel O'Brien is an infantry officer who has commanded at the battalion and brigade levels and has been with the talent management team for over two years, leading various aspects of all the previous iterations of the commander assessment program. Also joining us are two previous candidates of the assessment, including myself. Lieutenant Colonel Martin Anders, he is the Chief of Staff of the 2nd Security Force Assistance Brigade. And lastly, Lieutenant Colonel Nancy Harris, comes all the way from the Army Talent Management Task Force. A disclaimer up front, in order to protect the integrity of the command assessment program, all of our guests must still comply with the terms of the nondisclosure agreement they signed. Team, welcome.
2: Thanks, Dave. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here. Awesome. Uh, so, sir, Colonel O'Brien, we'll start with you. What events do CAP candidates participate in in the program, and how are candidates actually scored?
2: Hey, thanks, Dave. I appreciate the opportunity to have this dialogue. Um, let me start out by just kind of... Given everybody the the motto uh, or the standard by which we're measuring ourselves in uh, uh, the commander assessment program, uh, we gauge everything that we're doing uh, on on the scale of it's got to be world class, not gold plated, but world class, fair, consistent, uh, and safe. And safe particularly applies uh, to us in this COVID environment. But world class, we're aiming towards uh, the CAP programs uh, being. executed at a very high standard in uh, treating the candidates who are coming through to compete for command uh, uh, with the dignity and respect, which they've certainly deserved as uh, soldiers in the United States Army and uh, certainly also as uh, potential future leaders uh, in the Army. Uh, Consistent, we're aiming towards uh, every candidate having exactly the same experience as they come through uh, the commander assessment programs. That's why when you come to the commander assessment program, you will see cadre that are reading from scripts and executing things exactly the same way that uh, every other candidate uh, has uh, in their experience. Um, And then FAIR, um, we're looking to make sure that uh, every candidate is treated in a fair manner, that the standards are very clear, that the standards are not different than the Army standards, um, and that, uh, again, we're treating everybody with dignity and respect. So uh, going into uh, what CAP consists of, uh, consists of several screening, informing, and scored events. So first, the screening events. Uh You'll first take an Army standard height weight test uh, and an Army standard physical fitness test. Uh, we will continue to use the Army physical fitness test. We've got a, uh, an exception to policy uh, sub- submitted for the acting secretary of the Army to sign to authorize us to use the Army physical fitness test. Um, and that will be an Army physical fitness test that uh, the candidates will execute while they are at the commander assessment program uh, in the fall of 2021. Um, and there's also a requirement in the MILPER messages that are coming out uh, for uh, the CAP programs to execute a preliminary. Uh, Army Physical Fitness Test uh, at your unit sometime between the 1st of April and the 31st of July. So because uh, the uh, the next round of caps will encompass the command list for uh, fiscal year 23 throughout the rest of this talk, uh, you'll hear us talking about the, uh, the upcoming caps as Cap 23. Um, so uh, beyond the uh, uh, beyond the army physical fitness test there's also a height weight test that uh, you'll take uh, and then the final screening event is uh, uh, an interview with voting panel members where the panel members will uh, cast their vote uh, and the majority vote will determine whether the individual is ready or not yet ready for command so those are the screening events the informing events are peer and subordinate assessments a cognitive and non-cognitive assessment, which we call the CNCA, Charlie, November, Charlie, Alpha, Uh, some psychometric assessments, and a written and a verbal communication uh, assessment. Those are two separate events. Uh, The APFT is also an informing event, uh, and there's an interview with an operational psychologist and, of course, the interview with the uh, voting panel, which we call the Army Comprehensive Talent Interview, uh, is also an informing event uh, before the panel casts their vote on readiness or not yet readiness for command. Finally, the, the scoring events are, uh, uh, first, the order of merit, where each candidate came out of the centralized selection list uh, board, the legacy uh, system that uh, used to select uh commanders, and key billets on the CSL uh, system. Uh, that's the first SCORED event. Um, uh, it is the most heavily weighted uh, and represents the candidate's past performance, their command presence, uh, and the vote of the chain of command uh, over the career of each candidate. Also SCORED is a, uh, the, co- the cognitive and non-cognitive assessment, the CNCA, uh, and also a written and a verbal communication assessment. Um, and then the Army Physical Fitness Test is, of course, a scored event. Uh, all of those are uh, put into a weighted formula at the conclusion of each candidate's experience in, uh, uh, in CAP, and that produces the final order of merit that we present to the Chief of Staff of the Army uh, for CSL selection.
1: And that weighted formula you discussed there, that is uh, for Army senior leaders, uh, it cannot be disclosed uh, for any future B-CAP can- or CAP candidates, correct?
2: Yeah so uh the chief staff of the army and the four stars have agreed on on what that is um they've agreed on the elements of that uh the five uh, elements that I just discussed um and that it, they've agreed that the CSL board score the measure of past performance uh ought to be the most heavily weighted uh and the the remainder of them uh, make up uh the the rest of the uh uh the weighting of the formula so uh but we're not disclosing those uh, at this time, um, and uh, just know that your your past performance um, provides the the most heavily weighted. But there is opportunity to move up and down the order of merit list based on how you perform over the four days uh, that you're at the Commander Assessment Program. And we have significant examples, tremendous examples of people uh, moving around the order of merit list. Uh, based on uh, how they performed at the commander assessment program.
1: And that leads us into a, a next question I had. Um, I know when a lot of us were preparing, there was rumors out there about, um, does this make a difference? Your performance at CAP does. Uh, one point somebody talked about was now with merit-based promotions, that's already the OML out there, and CAP performance make a difference. Another one I heard is that Army senior leaders don't look at a lot of this data uh, and there's probably a few more out there that I'm, I'm forgetting, but can you discuss why it is important to prepare
2: for CAP? Yeah, it's, uh, it's critically important for you as a CAP candidate to spend some time preparing because, um, again, it is very possible to move your way around the, uh, the order of merit list. So if you take the order of merit list that comes out of the CSL board, which is the the first input to this to the uh, the cap process, right? That order of merit, if you tear it out into four tiers um, on what would have been in a legacy system, the top half of the principal list is tier one. the bottom half of that uh, principal list. Uh, is tier two, the top half of what would have been the alternate list is tier three, and the bottom half of what would have been the alternate list is uh, is tier four. So if you take that tiering system, um, we have tremendous examples of folks moving around on that order of merit from the input list to the final output list. Most of the movement occurs between tiers two and three, which you would expect right around where the cut line is drawn, uh, there's movement in between the, the lower half of the principal list and the upper half of the alternate list. We have examples of uh, uh, people in Tier 1 um, being found not yet ready for command and removed from the the command list in total. Uh, or having a, a uh, uh, less than desirable performance uh, or less than optimal performance at uh, the commander assessment program and moving from Tier 1 uh, down to Tier 3 is the most significant movement downward that we've seen. The most significant movement upward that we've seen is a uh, a low alternate, a Tier 4 alternate uh, moved from that Tier 4, very low on – uh, his branch's alternate list to very high into Tier 1 on his branch's principal list. So moved from basically the bottom of the list to the top of the list. And if you're interested in uh, uh, in how that works uh, or what those results might look like, if you look in the early uh, published articles about the Commander Assessment Program mm-hmm. Uh, the chief of staff of the Army had uh, some stuff that uh, that he wrote about moving from bottom to top um, and earning your way into command. Uh, that describes it pretty well.
1: So talking about the uh, cognitive and non-cognitive assessments, uh, can you discuss why the Army is interested in these types of tests and, and what can you do specifically to prepare for these? Sure.
2: Um, so the cognitive and non-cognitive assessment, the CNCA Uh, is really about a candidate's ability to handle the complexities of command or uh, CSL billets, key leader billet uh, positions and provides uh, some data about potential, right? So are you going to be able to handle the complexities and do you have uh, some strategic potential? Uh, that uh, that the Army ought to invest in. So these have been validated uh, by the Army Research Institute for Command and Potential uh, since 1993. Um, and basically what the CNCA is, is a, uh, a standardized style test uh, that you take on a computer, um, asks you a series of questions that are designed to determine Uh, Are you able to uh, to handle the uh, cognitively and non-cognitively handle the complexities of command? uh, And do you have strategic potential?
1: You know, a common question we get when we do these unit engagements is, you know, would you recommend investing in a test prep course? And I know a lot of the vice, Lieutenant Colonel Harris and I got uh, going into CAP was, hey, try this one, try that one. Um, So just curious what your thoughts are as the director on uh, investing in some sort of test prep course.
2: Yeah, so what I would recommend first is that everybody spend some time reading the candidate preparation guide that uh, we published in August of 2020. And we're in the midst of rewriting a a revision for that that will apply to CAP 23. Um, I wouldn't recommend any particular uh, preparation program. Um, I don't want to really get into endorsements, but what I would tell you is spending some time taking standardized time tests will put you in uh, the right framework to be able to uh, understand the conditions of that test and be prepared to take tests under the, those test conditions and within time constraints.
1: Okay, sir. Hey, that's that's uh, really interesting, sir. Uh, so. Moving on to the writing portion of this, uh, can you give uh, our audience, uh, describe the test they
2: will take a CAP? Yeah, so uh, the the writing assessment consists of two parts. Uh, The first is a multiple choice grammar test, uh, and the second part has candidates read an article as a prompt and then write an argumentative essay based on that prompt. Um, you have to do your work on the assigned computer and the writing assignment is time constrained. Um, you will also not have access to MS Word or functions that you may have grown used to in, uh, in your writing uh, work, whether that be at work or recreational or whatever. You will not have things like grammar check and spell check. And these conditions are deliberate so that we can accurately measure your own talents and not your talents to rely on a machine. Um, We receive feedback in every single AAR uh, that we do uh, at the end of every cohort uh, about the uh, availability of spell check. Uh, But again, we're specifically looking to assess each candidate as an individual and what your individual talents are.
1: Uh, Is the writing style that are being graded on Army writing style, or should they take a more academic
2: approach? So The writing style is not important. What is important is that you're writing to inform, uh, and because it's argumentative, persuade, um, but the writing style itself doesn't matter. You should uh, make sure that you develop a good thesis, that you provide evidence and analysis to support the argument, that you write in a logical flow and that there are clear transitions between your points. Uh, And finally, of course, as with any writing, uh, especially when you're tested, should be relatively error-free, be concise, and be clear.
1: Roger that, sir. Is there a difference for, let's say, a C-cap candidate versus a B-cap candidate? Is there different things they're looking for between the two assessment programs?
2: Yeah, the the key difference between the BCAP and the CAP, uh so that's BCAP Battalion Commander Assessment Program, CAP Colonel Command Assessment Program. Um the CAP writing assessment topics are more strategic in nature, uh and the graders are looking for indicators of strategic thinking. And the way that the uh and I think this may be getting into where you're going next, Dave, but uh, the way uh Uh, The way the writing grading works is uh, candidates take the tests and uh, we gather them up as cadre and we send them to two different places to get graded. Uh, One is to the West Point Writing Program at the United States Military Academy. Second is to the uh, Army War College. Um, And there are a minimum of two graders that will look at every single essay. Um, and if there is disparity on how those two graders grade uh, the writing assessment, uh, it'll go to a third grader for adjudication. Um, the graders, of course, uh, are looking for a strong thesis, lines of argumentation, evidence to support that argumentation, uh, and the analysis to support the thesis that the writer is uh, is posing in the in the paper.
1: Yeah, you, you definitely answered my uh, my next question there, sir. So I appreciate that. Um, To Lieutenant Colonel Harris, uh, how would you advise candidates to prepare for the writing assessment?
0: I would suggest you clearly outline, understand the outline of an essay. Um, You articulate your thoughts. Um, You can improve if you practice. Read articles and then write. And I would suggest having a peer review your article, um, your writing, and then do that under time constraints because that will will prepare you so when you actually go through the writing assessment, you're not panicking.
2: Yeah. So can can I add one thing? When when uh, when a candidate receives the article, the candidate is not given the prompt for what question they'll be answering, right? So you need to pay attention to the article and and pull out the the major points and develop kind of a bank of evidence that you may Mm -hmm. be able to use in different types of situations. And then after you get that prompt, then you can go back and start uh, you know siphoning through. The points that you uh, highlighted or jotted down and be able to apply them uh, as they support uh, your argument related to the prompt.
1: Right and that's that uh, uh, is basically in line with what a friend of mine that was a CCAP graduate said that understanding how to read and digest information in a rapid manner was key for him especially for the CCAP piece of it and then Lieutenant Colonel Harris to your point that's very similar to how I know a lot of my peers prepared for uh, writing prior to arrival. Uh, For me, something I did is uh, I used my unit public affairs officer because I knew he was a school-trained person by the Army that would, you know, very well-versed in how to edit papers, and uh, I did one paper a week under time, and I'd hand it over to him, uh, use Grammarly a little bit, uh, turn that in uh, afterwards just to kind of check my grammar, but under time I would write the paper, hand it over to him, and he would, uh, without spell check obviously, and then he would go greater for me and give me techniques. And that was made me very comfortable walking into uh, the assess, writing assessment. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Anders, did you have anything to add on that?
3: Uh, no, so I, a little bit I mean, to, to, your, to both points is I heard something said earlier about the panic attack that occurs with that time, that time constraint, what you just described there. It's really just practicing how to get yourself out of that panic uh, when you're given a prompt after you've read the information, as opposed to walking into with the argument, I think that's super helpful to, to get a lot of repetition so that you're able to really get yourself past that first ten-minute hump uh, when it's time to write and you're you're settled and you're ready to go.
1: Yeah, that's a that's an excellent point. Uh, so now that we've discussed the why behind written communications and how to prepare for that aspect of the assessment, I wanted to get into the board prep and oral communication. Uh, Colonel O'Brien, uh, can you describe the makeup of the board and what these individuals are looking for?
2: Yeah, thanks, Dave. The uh, uh, the, the panel uh, is uh, composed of five voting members. Um, in the case of uh, BCAP, it consists of a major general, uh, at least one brigadier general, Um, And usually uh, either one other brigadier general or a uh, a former uh, commander who has been uh, selected or is serving in a general officer billet. And then the remaining two voting panel members are uh, former uh, CSL uh, level uh, colonels who have led either commanded or led in a key staff billet uh, at that level. Um, so there that's the panel for the Army Comprehensive Talent Interview abbreviated the ACTI. Uh there's also several non-voting members that are in the room uh during the uh the ACTI. First is the voice and the one person that you will have uh personal contact with and you'll know what that person looks like. Um, and that is the panel moderator. That is a uh a, a colonel um, who has been selected uh, for his or her ability to um, to keep the panel flowing, uh, to keep the information flowing from the uh, the voting panel members, um, and to keep the panel on time um, as much as possible, so that uh, each candidate gets a fair and consistent uh, look uh, during the ACTI. Other, uh, the second uh, non-voting panel member is an operational psychologist who is an advisor to the panel. That operational psychologist takes the information that is uh, available to the panel and the only information that is available to the panel is that information that is gathered at the CAP event. None of your past performance, none of your OERs, uh, or um, your ORB or your DA photo, none of that is available to the panel. only the information that's gathered during uh, uh, Bcap Ccap or uh, w- whatever cap you're uh, you're competing in. Um, and then the, the the final non-voting panel member is a nominative sergeant major uh, who's also an advisor to the panel is not au- is not authorized to, uh, be able to recommend ready or not yet ready for command to the panel, but can contextualize from a soldier's perspective what data is available uh, for the uh, for the voting panel members. So the panel uh, itself, or the ACTI itself, is uh, a double-blind interview. Uh, You'll come into one side of a room. There's a black curtain erected between uh, each candidate and the voting panel so that neither the panel nor the candidate uh, can see each other. Um, And what the panel is looking for is uh, clear verbal communication when answering your questions. In addition to casting a vote of readiness or not yet readiness for command, uh they are also scoring a verbal assessment of each candidate as they're sitting in the uh in the ACTI interview um so one piece of advice is that as you're preparing for the ACTI um i would recommend that you practice communicating uh with people in a manner that you cannot see them and they cannot see you okay that starts to train uh your interview mannerisms so that you're not reliant on nonverbal communications and you're honing your verbal skills uh to be able to uh communicate in a clear and concise manner.
1: That's uh that leads uh, good into the uh the next question there, sir. And I, I heard Major General McGee say that the idea for this type of board came from the Boston Pops uh symphony because they could better understand the capabilities of an individual through a blind test. So can you describe how this process reduces bias?
2: Yeah, so there there are several things that we have done uh, in building the CAP programs uh, to reduce bias. Uh, first, before any candidate uh, enters into any type of assessment at uh, the Commander Assessment Program, the cadre members have gone through uh, a, a standardized uh, anti bias training uh, that consists of uh, a couple of hours of time on their training day uh, and then every day uh, before any candidate enters into the assessment area um, the the cadre receive uh, a refresher um, on anti bias training to make sure that they're aware uh, that bias uh, can be a real thing and that everybody has biases and that uh, there are things that we can do as individuals to uh, mitigate that bias. So the second thing is everything the, uh, the panel sees uh, has been anonymized. Um, the only reference to you as an individual is by uh, your roster number, um, and nobody knows uh, anything about uh, your background uh, or anything that uh, uh, would be very obvious in a uh, visual presentation uh, of yourself. Um, the panel can only see your scored events um, as tiers uh, when they get their uh, when they get their view of, of of each candidate. So, for instance, if you score very high on the Army Physical Fitness Test, say 270 or above, uh, the panel sees that you scored in tier one uh, of the Army Physical fitness test, fitness test. They do not see that you scored 300 or 290 or 299 on there, and they're not wondering, hey, why, why couldn't that individual do one more push-up to get a 300? Okay, so they see it as a, as a series of tiers uh, for all of the scored data. Um, as I said, there is a curtain between you, so uh, the panel cannot identify you, and you cannot identify the, uh, the panel members. So that goes, uh, that's an anti-bias measure that goes both ways the panel can't see you and be immediately biased by uh, what your uniform looks like your badges and tabs your gender your ethnicity um and it's uh um it's proven fairly effective uh at doing this uh, we've we've had the uh uh nominative sergeant's major doing a poll uh on each of the uh, the ACTIs that we've done so far and if an individual uh, happens to be uh, of a minority ethnicity, um, the nominative sergeant major has only been able to ascertain uh, whether the individual is or is not uh, a minority ethnicity 50% of the time. So rather than a visual presentation, you know, if you're an African American or a Latino or whatever, of somebody being able 100% of the time to be able to uh, determine that you're uh, a, a minority um, only 50% of the time is, uh, is where we are right now with uh, uh, the erection of that uh, uh, curtain. Um,
0: Sir, the one thing sure. I would like to add is, yeah. um, as a former candidate and uh, being a minority and a female, um, the, the way the process went, the structure of the program, I'm completely confident in my, uh, the anonymity of who, who I am or what I am, per se, instead of who I am. So it didn't matter my race or what even branch I was because no one knew that. Um, All that is hidden, and I'm just a candidate. So you can just see the data on um, what I've provided over the assessment program.
2: Yeah, thanks for that. Um, So uh, just all of this kind of begs the question that uh, what other measures are you considering um, uh, putting into place? we are kind of looking at other things that we can do uh, in in future years uh, to be able to uh, uh, disguise, even if you are uh, man versus woman, because uh, again, the the nominative sergeant major that was uh, casting a an opinion of uh, uh, what type of individual was sitting on the other side, uh, while we mitigated. Uh, um, the identification to 50% of the time for minorities, uh, we were not able to do any of that uh, for uh, the sergeant major's ability to determine man versus woman. Um, so they were they were 100% accurate uh, in that, and, and that stands to reason with voice patterns and pitch and what have you. Um, so in future years, uh, we'll, we may be able to address things like that. Um, so I I think that's about it. Oh, one one more thing. Uh the the last thing to mitigate bias uh really gets to uh, the way the questions are structured. Um each candidate has 30 seconds to be able to formulate an answer to that question. Um, and the panels, uh, the panel moderator will ask the question, tell the candidate, you've got 30 seconds to formulate a response, then ask the question again, and then you can start answering the question. And that's a, a measure, uh, as we were studying things, that uh, we put into place to be able to mitigate uh, biases between uh, extroverts and introverts.
1: I, I would add one thing that I think helped uh, was adding in there what you learned from each of those situations. So if you can describe... Uh, to the board, what you learn uh, from each, uh, each situation that you're, you're talking about, uh, you'll, be, you'll be in a better position uh, to articulate. Sir, is, is there any
2: practice questions given to candidates? Yeah. Uh, again, I would uh, refer you to uh, the Candidate Preparation Guide. Uh, that document is very helpful and really gives you the answers uh, to, uh, to the test. If you, if you study that, uh, internalize it, spend a lot of time with it, uh, you will be well situated um, to understand what is going to happen uh, at the commander assessment program.
1: And to our guests, how would you advise candidates to prepare for the board?
2: From the beginning,
3: the board's really looking to learn about you, you as a leader, you as a person. So I spend a great deal of time with just self-reflection really kind of thinking through my career as it's been so far, any of those times that I've had frictions with subordinates or seniors or peers for that matter, and what I learned from those and how I've changed or adjusted my leadership style, uh, as opposed to preparing for the board by reading doctrine, understanding how to use you know uh, mechanized formations well, uh, really focus more on leadership, uh, my leadership style, how I am perceived as a leader, and how I am perceived as a, as a peer. Uh, really, if you know more about yourself when you go into the board, that short 30 seconds that uh, Colonel O'Brien just described uh, to prepare your feedback, and your answer to your question, is, is not as short. Uh, you actually have thought through it before you've come and prepared, and you're able to formulate your answer.
0: Uh, for me, I had uh, one of my former uh, Command Sergeant Majors and then. Uh... Chief of Operations Group, they did practice interviews with me. Um, they helped me uh, identify my verbal tics, um, things that I can do to improve my verbal communication skills. Um, to work on my recall, I made multiple phone calls to peers, um, DA civilians, former NCOs um, that I've worked with over the fa- plat- last few years um, so I can recall stories and situations that we went through together and how we dealt with them. Um, And so what I did was I went through the behavioral-based questions, and then I was answering them in the STAR format. Uh, So I had that immediate recall once I went into the interview, and I used the full 30 seconds every single question.
1: Yeah, and and I think all those comments highlight the utility in doing some serious reflection, getting feedback, and ensuring you have a strong sense of self-awareness prior to arrival to the board. And uh, one comment I heard leading uh, up to this as we were parent is like, the hardest part about this board is, uh, you know, remembering a time. Remembering a time where you had friction and what did you learn from that uh, so that you can articulate it to the board. Now, we've already discussed the APFT, ACFT stuff uh, at the beginning of the podcast, but regardless of the test, uh, what
2: are the key things to keep in mind when taking this assessment? The number one thing to keep in mind is that when you execute your exercises, specifically paying attention to the perfection in your form. Um, it's very important on your, your push-ups because that's the one that uh, has been the most disputed and, and we've received the most uh, um, requests to uh, have a recount for. Um, but form perfection is, is critical. The graders are grading to the Army standard. They are grading to the Army standard. There is not a B cap or a C cap standard. Um, they will be fair. They're very well calibrated. We calibrate them uh, during rehearsals. We calibrate them before any candidate uh, gets to, uh, to a CAP event, and we calibrate them uh, at the end and then at the beginning of every single day uh, to make sure that they are uh, world-class, fair, and consistent.
1: And that's the thing I remember just as I left the PT test. Remember, it's, it it is is world-class. It is consistent. Uh, it is fair. You're being videotaped as you're doing the push-ups uh, as well. Um, Form is everything, and uh, I realized after I left the PT test that apparently I had been doing push ups wrong uh, for the past 15 years, Uh, but that's okay. Uh, It's the Army standard, and everybody gets the same standard. So, Lieutenant Colonel Harris, did you have any TTPs you wanted to share with the audience? Uh, We had
0: one of our um, SAR majors give us a PT test, and he really focused and made sure that we were going to the Army standard. And then that's when I did realize that previous in my career, I think the grading was probably a little lax or not consistent amongst the different units. So as an individual, you need to understand what your strengths are on a PT test and understand your weaknesses and focus on your weaknesses in the form and how you do those exercises.
1: Uh, one thing I learned early up in my train-up was that this, that I had to remain healthy so that I could attend BCAP. But I also wanted to train hard so that I could get a high score. Uh, so I learned how to be a student of physical recovery, mobility, uh, so that I could take care of myself because I'm realizing more and more that I can't recover like I did when I was a lieutenant. However, I was thinking it would be pretty easy for somebody to just say you're injured and here's my old PT test card with the 290 or 300. Uh, so the question for, for Colonel O'Brien is how does CAP
2: prevent people from, from gaming the system here? Yeah, so uh, first to, be, uh, uh, to opt into uh, the CSL process, you have to certify that you can take a three-event three PT test without alternate events. Uh, and that you don't have any APFT limiting profiles. This year, the per message is going to require that you submit a three-event APFT record taken between the 1st of April and the 31st of July, 2021. Uh, and this will serve as a backup uh, in the event that a temporary profile limits the uh, uh, ability to complete an APFT at CAP. Uh, there are provisions in the MILPR for those who will not be able to take an APFT due to temporary profiles uh, and will adjudicate each one of those cases individually. But candidates, please, please look at the MILPR messages very closely so that you understand uh, what those requirements are.
1: Moving on to facilities and support, uh, I was blown away by the professionalism. Of the uh, support crew, and so we want to talk to our audience about what candidates can expect in terms of building and what our our guests recommend they bring. So, you will get a barracks room when you arrive at CAP. There is Wi-Fi. There is coffee. There was there was a lot of discussion about getting coffee makers, and we got coffee makers back in uh, uh, Bcap twenty two. Um, and, you know, just bringing things that are going to make you comfortable. So I brought a lot of physical recovery items, foam rollers, I brought my own pillow, things like that, but whatever's going to make you comfortable to do that. So Lieutenant Colonel Harris, uh, do you have anything to add?
0: I would say, um, whatever your regiment is to have you, you perform at your, your best, um, do that and bring that there. In addition, after you finish an event, just let it go. It's in the past, move on to your next event. Don't dwell on it. Um, Because you don't want that to um, affect your next performance.
3: Yeah. So just to amplify, um, I think that was a really key phrase. What you normally do every day that you're in the army is what you want to be able to do there. So I'm, I'm like you. I brought myself some heavy bags so I could conduct PT in the morning and I could keep a regular routine going every day. That wasn't different than it normally was. Just you know, on the line in regular organization, Uh, and you don't get caught sitting in your room staring at a wall. Uh, Particularly, you know, this particular BCAP with COVID, you know, there were some limitations on where we could go and what we could do. Uh, But being able to keep a regime, talk to your family uh, via, you know, FaceTime or you can do your PT, anything that makes your day your day, you want to be able to execute
2: there. I would also add that uh, we've designed the uh, schedule for uh, BCAP and CCAP. Uh, to allow each candidate the ability to have personal reflection time, to have the ability to prepare, to have the ability to uh, do whatever they need to do to keep the stress uh, out of the assessment. Um, So your time is your time at CAP. Uh, We will tell you. When you are uh, entering an assessment period, and when that assessment period is finished, and there are no secrets in terms of when you are and or not being assessed. Uh, so, I encourage people to use that uh, that time wisely to be able to uh, get themselves in the right frame of mind for the upcoming assessments.
0: I yes. think being in a, a barracks room by yourself was perfect for that, um, because you could prepare and you can decompress alone without someone watching you and without judgment of anyone else around you.
1: We at the task force get asked a lot about unit training programs, like what would you suggest for a unit training program? Uh, So to our guests, Lieutenant Colonel Handers and Lieutenant Colonel Harris, uh, what would you advise units that want to consolidate training?
0: I would say every individual is different. So consolidation of training may be beneficial for some, um, but not others. Um, In our unit, a group of candidates got together for PT. We shared writing tips, um, but it wasn't forced upon us by the chain of command. Uh, The one thing the chain of command did do was allow us to prepare.
1: You know, I think it's important that units uh, give their people time to train. Uh, So as supervisors, just ensure you give people enough, a few days, just to uh, kind of get their minds right, prepare. Um, I I saw a couple of uh, Division G3s that were getting crushed day and night um going in and then they rapidly transition over to cap and uh you know they were kind of burned out going in there so uh w- one piece of advice i think to give is just give your people at least a few days to to back off get some perspective do some reflection and get in the right mindset before they move on to cap so lieutenant colonel Anders, um you were found not yet ready for command the first year in bcap 21 and then for bcap 22 you came back and you were made a pr- uh, a principal can you discuss your journey uh from not yet ready for command to principal list.
3: One just providing some understanding of BCAP 21 versus BCAP 22 was was a lot different uh in the feedback mechanism which I'll get to kind of at the end of this. When I left BCAP 21, I actually felt like I was de- I performed decently, uh didn't get much feedback on my way out, and then I was informed that I was not yet ready for command. The biggest thing that I learned from that uh was the self-reflection, really understanding yourself, really understanding, you know, your career as it's been, you know, since your commission date, and then those things that you've changed or adjusted. Uh, the other thing that I did is I participated in the uh, the Army, the post-DCAP coaching uh, that was provided, uh, and, you know, I had six one-on-one sessions that were an hour long uh, that, having a coach and having a person that has zero impact on your career to give you some genuine feedback and just help you along uh, was super helpful. Uh, I really felt stronger coming into BCAP 22 because of that. Additionally, my writing style, I know I did not do very good on the writing during BCAP 21. Didn't really prepare for it very well. So I did a lot of uh, additional reading, uh, Got myself to read in a time constraint, write in a time constraint, and just really kind of have that looked at for written communications. Really to get over that panic and uh, BCAP 21, that essay, the essay that we took, really threw me into a panic. I crafted my argument before I completed uh, the re- r- written portion, only to be given a prompt, and I really caught myself into a panic. Uh, so just understanding that that's the case and. And preparing for that so I could get over the panic hump was helpful. I was expecting, you know, 100-mile-an-hour normal U.S. Army assessment period where you show up at 06, you knock out things for 24 hours a day, and then you move on to the next day with a short rest period. And just really didn't prepare myself for the ability to sit back and really think through uh, what I was going to do next uh, to, to, uh, through the assessment program.
1: That's a very good answer. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Harris, you were not even invited uh, to BCAP 21. You did some reflection and came back and made the principal list for BCAP 22. Can you talk about how you learned and improved to set up for success in BCAP 22?
0: Okay, so uh, my initial reaction to not even being on a list was like shock and surprise. Like, oh, man. But um, I had my mentors and my coaches, they rallied around me, um, and they gave me a lot of support. Um, And encouragement. And pretty much you have to look at it as the glass is, it's almost full. It's not half empty. And this is your time. You're getting more time and opportunity to prepare yourself for another year that your peers didn't have. And so that's what I did. I focused on being a better teammate and, of course, performing and doing my job, but doing something to improve myself and be better every day. So by the time I arrived at BCAP, I was the best version of myself. Um, But I am still myself. Um, I would say I worked on uh, my verbal communication skills. I talked to a lot of my peers. We had some really uncomfortable conversations. How am I perceived? And and what they told me was not what I expected to hear. And so it it was really uh, eye opening on my leadership, and I was able to adjust, um, you know, certain behaviors. Um, I would say overall, when I left Bcap. It gave me a chance that I didn't have so it gave me a chance that I wouldn't have had um, if this process didn't exist
1: Roger that.
0: and so afterwards I would say going forward I got a lot of feedback on my personality uh, leadership traits how I'm perceived by others and how I can improve with executive coaching um, in the upcoming year as I prepare for command
2: hey look what what, uh, what you both described is uh, is very interesting um, and very compelling stories uh, that I hope encourage uh, a, a lot of folks out there that uh, that the caps really have a redemptive quality uh, about them that we um, absolutely strove to put in there. It used to be that uh, when you uh, when your first look for CSL uh, level positions, command or key billet positions came out. Uh, if you were selected, that was good. If you weren't selected, uh, your chances of being selected in the future were very, very low. Um, and uh, what you've both described is a redemptive quality uh, in there. Uh, one from having a, a a legacy file that didn't put you uh, uh, in a position to be invited to BCAP 21, uh, and you overcame that. So congratulations uh, on that. Very well done. Uh, and one from uh, a file that puts you, uh, in a position, um, and you experienced some adversity, um, sought the feedback and, and in both of your cases had some very uncomfortable conversations. I'm sure, um, that, uh, uh that you were willing to have to learn and, uh, uh, become more aware of yourself. Uh, what we've found is that self-awareness is a tremendous key to successful leadership at uh, at the senior level, um, and uh, that is one of the things that the cognitive, non-cognitive assessment uh, will point us towards, as well as the psychometric assessments uh, towards your self-awareness. Uh, and if you are self-aware, you can take the data that you receive uh, in every form. Uh, at uh, the Commander Assessment Program and and learn from that and uh, come back better uh, or come back better if the results don't uh, pan out exactly the way you want them to uh, on the first time uh, or even maybe the second time for that matter. Um, or if you are fortunate enough to be selected for a CSL billet, um, you know, you can take that to uh, become a better uh, leader at that level. Um, the second thing is that uh, – uh, these assessments are uh, proving to be tremendous contributors to shaping behavior amongst the leaders uh, in the Army. Um, so for those of you that have attended a commander assessment program in the past, you've uh, uh, you've heard the ATMTF director talk about how um, the Army population compared to the general population in the United States can do more push-ups, more sit-ups, and run faster in their two-mile run. Uh, than the general population. And that's because for many, many years, many generations of soldiers, uh, we have been assessed on uh, our physical fitness in terms of push-ups, sit-ups, and a two-mile run. Um, And the events that uh, the commander assessment programs put candidates through um, are clearly shaping behaviors uh, in terms of uh, uh, folks ability to or willingness to be able to prepare uh, before they come and get it uh, and get assessed and Nancy just like you said you show up you showed up to be uh, BCAP 22 as the best version of yourself so congratulations to both of you and uh, I'm proud of you and, and we're looking forward to some great things uh, from you all in your uh, uh, command and key billet position so congratulations
0: thank you sir
1: On that note, I think we'll wrap things up. To our guests, thanks for being on the show. And to our audience, thank you for joining me today. Our next episode will feature a discussion about feedback at CAP. Please subscribe to our podcast. And for more information, visit the Talent Management Task Force website, talent.army.mil. Thank you for joining us.
0: The Army Talent Management Task Force would like to thank our listeners for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information on Army talent management initiatives, or if you have an idea for a future podcast, please visit our website at talent.army.mil. Don't forget to share with your colleagues.